Hey y'all, it's Lens. It's uh, a hot, hot, sultry summer night down here in the south, and I can hear the sound of crickets and cicadas outside, which to me just is like the sound of heat. <laughs> Growing up down here um, in the deep south, there are certain sounds that to me evoke like a memory or more like a tangible sensation. And I swear to you that cicadas, the sound of cicadas to me is the sound of heat. So we are definitely in the middle of the dog days of summer down here, spending a lot of time indoors as much as possible. And so I have been doing a lot of reading. I've been doing a lot of, um, Amazon shopping. I've been doing a lot of uh, clothes shopping because like every time I walk outside, I'm burning up to death and I realize I own no shorts. And so I've been exercising the curbside pickup option at the Old Navy. It's been a productive feeling sort of week. So one of the things that I started doing this week is I started prepping for our new school year. That's going to be starting in September. So last episode. Um, so anyway, that's where my mind, that's where my mind space has been. So in the last episode I talked about, well, I titled it COVID schooling because I wanted to address some of the, um, complications that everybody is going to be facing this year as we go into a school year affected by the decisions that are being made, um, in reference to the pandemic. And so last episode, um, it may have been some people's first time listening to the show because um, I had several friends tell me that they were sharing the podcast with other people. That was my my hope and my goal and my intention was to put something out there that might be helpful uh, for some people who are in a similar situation of trying to make some decisions about how to move forward with the new school year. And so I did hear back from some people um, that they had done just that. And so I had to laugh because one of my friends who's a loyal, loyal listener listens to every episode when it's brand new, like in the first 24 hours. And she described uh, my style as distractible. (laughs) And I was like, that is so perfect. (laughs) That could not be more accurate. (laughs) So if this is your second time listening to the podcast, just be reassured, I am going to be probably just as distractible this time as I was the last time and in any of the 33 episodes that came before that. Occasionally, I do bring a co-host on here to kind of um, keep my distractibility to a minimum, but tonight you're getting just me again. And I wanted to continue on the theme that I started last week, which is that we have had a, a lot of unsettling I guess unsettling, I don't know, unsettling, that might not be the word I'm looking for. That makes it sound like foreboding of some kind. Uh, We've had a lot of things that have happened this year that have unsettled our usual routines. Disrupted. That's the word I was looking for. Disrupted. So um, life as we know it back in 2019 has apparently evaporated. Has anybody else heard this thing about people saying like, now we know why they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Like somebody was a time traveler 
and said t- hindsight is twenty twenty, and what they they didn't they weren't talking about twenty twenty vision. They were talking about twenty twenty the year. I hope that isn't true, but <laughs> but but really, when you think about what were we doing this time last year? In this month of last year, so it was like July. Um, most people don't go back to school in July, although I did see a couple people pop up on my Facebook feed today that their kids have actually gone back to school. But, uh, you know, you're like vacationing or you're hitting the pool or you're doing back to school shopping or uh, basically anything that is not normal anymore. <laughs> so you might still be getting to do that. Uh, you might still be on vacation, but you're probably having your plans have probably been affected to some degree. Maybe you're being, you know, extra cautious and you canceled your vacation. If you're school shopping, you might be school shopping for a laptop or a set of headphones with a microphone on it so that your kid can zoom call into their classes. There are just all kinds of ways that this year looks different than, than last year. And so, Uh, in the last week, I've had some time to reflect about in my own personal life, how that's going to look going forward into the fall. And so it has helped to guide me in my decisions of how to spend my time this week. So we've been doing a lot of purging, getting all of the clutter, all of the, um, just, you know, tertiary messes that pile up when you're sort of at home all the time. And I've been going through all of the, I had each kit, I have one of those little rolly carts. It's like a metal three-tier rolly cart. And there's a joke in the homeschool community that you can't like, you can't be issued your homeschool card until you own one of these (laughs) because they're so, so stereotypically widespread as a recommendation when people are like, I'm trying to organize my schoolroom. Um, does anybody have any good organization techniques? And literally everyone is like, boom, three tiered rolling metal cart from Michael's $29.99. Use a coupon, get 20% off. <laughs> so I actually own two of them. I don't know if that means I have extra cred, but uh, I had each kid go through. I have three kids, three tiers on the rolling cart. How convenient. And so each of them have a bin on the cart. So I had them go through their bin, get all their junk out anyway. Uh, and one of my children, well, all three of them still have some stuff they need to finish up, but one of my children has a, a good bit of schoolwork. I'm expecting her to still finish before we start our new year in September. So she was, she was reminded of that as she went through her bin, but I've been letting the plans and the expectations for the fall sort of guide how I've spent my time this week, because from the time that the stay at home order was handed down in our state, which was around the 15th or 16th of March for something like, I think it turned out to be 57 days that we legitimately just stayed home and didn't go anywhere that wasn't essential. I let a lot of our normal routines and stuff slide because I felt like this is a very unusual time. You know, this is a time period that is unlike anything we've ever lived through as a family. Um, even our extended, like older family members aren't saying like, oh, this reminds me of just like when this happened, like this was a, this was a historical, I felt like we were living through a historical time period. And so I let a lot of our normal, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel right to just go on with normal daily life. 
there was this sort of simmering kind of unease that I was feeling and just this generalized anxiety about not knowing, you know, what was going to happen next or what change, what other changes were we going to have to make that kind of stuff. And so I let a lot of our normal routines, um, and the normal structure that, that keeps us running. I let a lot of that go by the wayside. In fact, there was at one point in time, and I may have mentioned it on the, on the, um, podcast, there was one point in time where I took a video because, my house was so trashed. It was like level 40 out of 10 trashed because I had one kid that had built a swing made out of scarves. She had tied three scarves together and she had knotted it to the banister at the top of the stairs and was literally swinging in the middle of our foyer like Tarzan. The other two were neck deep in an art project. Here comes the train. Uh, The other two were neck deep in an art project that had taken them four or five different sessions of an online art club to finish. And there was just, I mean, little, literally like snips of paper everywhere. Um, they had dress ups out, there was laundry out, there was all the food from lunch, dinner, breakfast, all of it. I mean, the house was so trashed. It was, it was comical to the point to where I was like, I'm going to take a video of this because I will never believe, um, that I let this happen if I don't document it. (laughs) So I was just, walking through the house going, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's great. It's wonderful. (laughs) That is not my normal. Not at all. So I think that if I can, I think I can pretty well assume that if that's what was happening here at our house, I'm going to assume that that's what was happening at other people's houses. And I think I have had some confirmation of that fact by a few things that I have read this week. And so, um, an article came up on a friend's Facebook timeline that was entitled 2020 will be the death of the working mother. And that jumped right off the page at me because one of the things my husband and I were talking about after I recorded the podcast last week, he was like, well, what'd you talk about? He doesn't listen to the podcast. He just produces it. So he, he always has to ask me. So I, I was saying, you know, I was trying to talk about, uh, COVID like homeschooling or distance learning or schooling just in general, whatever in the time of COVID and how I was trying to give some tips on, you know, decision-making about things like that inspired by Charlotte Mason, of course. And, um, and one of the things that came up was he, you know, both of us agree that, that one of the reasons why we can, we can do the homeschooling thing uh, without the, without the burnout that, that typically comes with it is that both of us are at home. Um, he already works from home before COVID. He worked from home. I'd say for four days a week for sure. And some, some weeks, five days a week post COVID. I think he's been to the office twice in almost six months. That's not normal for him. He's, he likes to go to the office and and get FaceTime with, um, his coworkers. But, but the fact that, that we're both home most of the time really does prevent a lot of the burnout that comes from homeschooling because homeschooling is, it's exhausting, um, from a decision fatigue standpoint, also just from a personal contact, like the number of contact hours you're having with other people standpoint. And I have said before to him many times that, you know, with, 
me being a stay-at-home mom slash housewife slash homeschool mom slash work from home, very part-time realtor, the, our house is my office. And if there's a mess in the house, like it's part of my job, you know? So at the end of a long day, he gets to come inside from his office and, you know, like kick back and relax. And meanwhile, I'm still working because I'm, I'm in my office, you know, my, the house is my job. So, uh, that has been, that, that has been fruit for many, many discussions (laughs) over the 18 years that we've been married. Um, we just had our 18th anniversary (laughs) a little bit ago, a couple weeks ago. And, um, and we've had to discuss this a lot. So, but this, this title jumped right off the page at me because I was a homeschool mom. I mean, excuse me. I am a homeschool mom. I wasn't a homeschool mom. I was a classroom teacher. That's what I was trying to say. I was a classroom teacher um, as my career, which you guys already know. And uh, after we had our first baby, she was born in November. I went back to school. I went back to work in January. I finished that school year. I started another school year and I worked that school year. And by the end of that second school year, I was pregnant again. And it was after that, that we decided that it made no sense for me to continue working because on paper I would be, it would be costing me a hundred dollars a month to go to my job between daycare for two kids, gas, um, work clothes, you know, all those expenses, uh, that come with being at work formula, that kind of stuff. So that was really the main driving force behind me becoming a stay-at-home mom. I never really intended to be a stay-at-home mom, uh, but it is what it is. And so now I am. Now I've been a stay-at-home mom for longer than I ever was a classroom teacher. But I can still sometimes remember. I do have vivid memories of what it was like to be a working mom, especially a working mom to an infant, because I had to get up and I had to wake my baby up to leave the house to take her to daycare. And that always felt like the most horrible thing. It felt so terrible to have to wake up and wake her up. Um, I don't know why, maybe not everybody had, has such a visceral reaction to that, but I guess I had just heard so many times, like never wake a sleeping baby that it seemed so cruel every morning that I was having to wake, like haul her butt out of the bed. So I was a, I was a working mom, a, a legit working mom for the first 18 months of our oldest daughter's life. And then I did have the opportunity to start staying home. And I have, I have been able to do that since then. Now I ne- because I never wanted to stay home. I have always tried to have a side hustle as they call it. <laughs> so I've always tried to have a side hustle. And in the beginning I was doing stuff like I would babysit for my friends and, um, I would, um, teach birth classes. And then, I later became a birth doula and then I later became a um, midwife apprentice, um, midwife assistant, and then eventually got burned out on that and had to um, dial that back to just attending births for fun and for my friends. Um, And then eventually I became a realtor. And I actually really enjoy being a realtor, but um, it it comes with its own special set of circumstances when you're homeschooling and when you're, um, staying home with the kids. But, um, I still don't really count myself in the ranks of 
working moms because I don't have to go anywhere. I can do all my work from, from home really. So, um, I just really, I think I just more heavily identify with being a stay at home mom who has side gigs. All right. So anyway, I wanted to make sure and point that out so that people didn't think that like I had literally never been a working mom. I was, it was just a long time ago. Okay. Well, anyway, so this article was on scarymommy.com, which I don't like that <laughs> as of the name of a website that I, this, this website's very, very popular and it tends to, scary mommy tends to kind of publish the types of articles that make you feel better about whatever questionable parenting choices you've made recently. So, um, it's not usually a source of anything that is very compelling for me, uh, or thought provoking, but this really was. All right. So the art, the name of the article was 2020 will be the death of the working mother. And it's by Brandy Kendrick. This was published on July 23rd. So about, uh, just about a week ago. I'm going to read a passage from it. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, even though it's not a long article. You can go look it up if you want to read the rest of it. But it starts like this. It's 2020. And as a working mother, you are either a good employee or a good mother, but not both. At least that's the way I feel. There is no work-life balance. There is no life-life balance at this point. The mental load of the average working mother has now been compacted like the trash in that back of a large dump truck. The unseen stress of motherhood is exhausting as it stands outside of the parameters of a mass pandemic. Now the mental load of mothering has been squished together even further with more expectations than before. Work, clean, care for, and now teach the small humans. Unless you can survive on three hours of sleep, telework, and have the magical ability to wash clothes with your mind, this is impossible. We went from wondering what we would cook for dinner to wondering if we should even keep the careers we've worked so very hard to obtain. COVID-19 is more than just a respiratory illness. It's a virus destroying the careers of mothers and fathers worldwide. Forget climbing up the corporate ladder. We're hanging by our fingertips from the gutters. Okay, so that was that first section of the article made me think, okay, I can remember what it was like to be working outside the home and having, uh, to be on such a strict schedule as far as when I left the house, when I got the baby to daycare, when I got to work, all those kind of things. And the stress, I do remember the stress and the mental load of that. Um, I didn't do much corporate ladder climbing. So, and, and the last, I sometimes joke that the last year that I was a teacher, I was a, I was a really terrible employee because I just was like, this is so silly. Why am I so stressed about this? Like, these, the, the kids are going to be fine. Like they'll, they'll turn out fine. But you know, um, I have, I put like, I put a huge load of pressure on myself about this kind of stuff and I just need to relax. So the, I spent the last year I was teaching in the classroom, kind of like exhorting myself to relax rather than exhorting myself to be stressed. So it was the next part of the article though, that really turned my head. So I'm going to read this next bit. And then we're going to talk about it. If you were fortunate enough to have the ability to work from home, you may have also been fortunate enough to scar your children for life with your scary mommy screams right before your important video conference. That was just kind of funny to me. Nothing can help your productivity like a demonic mom voice while emailing your supervisor. 
about the big project you're working on. Let's not even talk about the awkward video conferencing moments when your kid walks by in their underwear. Your house is a jungle with unlimited screen time and limitless fruit snacks just to meet your work deadlines. It is an anything-goes type of household, all for the sake of your career. Your feral children are running around hyped up on sugar and boredom. Your kitchen is like an open bar at a fancy wedding with no last call. Your grocery bill has tripled, and you may have quarantine ordered a swing set just to get your children out from under your feet. Routines, meal planning, and mental stability have all flown out the window. You may have already burnt through your paid times off like a smoker burns through their last cigarette, all while trying to figure out distance learning with uncooperative children. All right, so this is where we're going tonight, friends. This idea that um, everyone being home means all hell has broken loose is a very legitimate thing that has occurred around the country in the last several months. Like I said at the beginning, it, it happened in our house and we are home all the time by default before COVID-19. And even I, who, who really, I lean, I am a schedule. I like schedules. I like, um, you know, order. I like routine, all that kind of stuff. So I like things to be, I like expectations. I like goals, checklists, all that stuff. Okay. All that stuff is totally my, my stuff. Even I, at the beginning of the stay at home order was like, schedule what? (laughs) Routine what? Uh, habits what? Like even, even I, even I succumbed to the stress of so many things changing at one time that I just threw our usual routine out the window. And feral is definitely how I would describe some of the, some of the times that, um, I've lived through with my kids over the last several months. So so, one of which I can hear howling in the background right now. Um, so This is very, this, I think this is very real. And I think it's one of the more universal things that when we come out of this whole crazy year and, um, and things go back to normal, I refuse to call it the new normal because I just don't think a lot of this stuff is going to be permanent. But, but when we get back to some semblance of normal, I think we really are going to sit back and be like, man, that was crazy. What was the craziest thing you did? And we're going to be swapping stories like, oh, well, there was the time I let this and that happen or you know, I've heard some of my friends, some of my online mom friends are saying that like, they just threw bedtime out the window. They were like, what's bedtime? Whenever they fall asleep, that's when they fall asleep. Whenever they wake up, that's when they wake up. You know, these, we, we spent years of our lives in this mom group discussing the ideal bedtime routine and how important bedtimes are and schedules and routines. And now we're just like, it's all out the window. So reading this article, um, really brought some of that to to my mind. And I thought, man, yeah, we've, we've been kind of doing that over here too. Now, here's the problem. And there is a problem. It is a problem, right? It's problematic because just like this article says, it is not working. Right? When I let things go, around my own house, it does not work 
for me, the manager of the house. It does not work for the kids. It does not work for my husband who needs to have some semblance of order going on in the background while he's trying to work his professional job that earns the money to pay the bills. Like it does not work. The free for all, um, feral situation is not a, it's not a workable solution. It's not a good coping mechanism because it brings more stress with it. So at first it feels good. At first it's like, you know what? Seize the day. Um, anything goes, everything's is upside down. You know, let's not worry ourselves with all of this mundane, like normal stuff. When life is anything but normal, you know, we're not going to worry about all this stuff. However, I think now we can probably all pretty universally agree that several months into this, um, we could have probably benefited from a little more structure and routine (laughs) being maintained. Um, some would even say that, you know, if we had had like a, had a, uh, organized approach to how to handle this whole thing, we might be in a better place now because it wouldn't be so crazy and so individual wherever, you, you know, depending on where you go in the country. But speaking only for myself and for my home, the disruption that has been caused by us staying at home, having all of our normal activities canceled and also me going the extra mile and throwing our normal routine out the window has had a pretty legitimate effect. So as I always do at the end of the summer, as I'm getting ready for a new school year to start, I'm getting my thoughts in order, (coughs) excuse me, and I'm starting to plan on, you know, what things do I want to do differently this year? What really worked for us last year? What are some things that um, I want to improve on? you know, did we do this well? Did we not do it so well? Um, so this is a time of transition this time of the year, this end of the summer before the starting of the school year is a time of transition normally. Okay. So that's where, in case you're wondering if I'm ever going to get around to my point, (laughs) that's where I'm going with this. So even though this year has been nothing normal, there's been nothing normal about this year right now in this very particular time of year where the summer is wrapping up and the school year is about to start. This is a very normal time of transition where we've probably let bedtime go. We've probably let hygiene go. We've probably let healthy eating go because that's what you do during a normal summer anyway, right? Is you have fun, you go on vacation, you stay up late, you do stuff with friends, you eat popsicles, you you know, have watermelon seed spitting contest, you go camping, you eat s'mores, you drink margaritas, whatever. So the summertime is kind of normally a time of getting off your normal routine, you know, and trying to let loose and enjoy yourself a little bit. So perhaps we just, maybe we could just look at it as like, well, we just started summer a little bit early. Because to be honest, I mean, with, with kids who are in school, That's pretty much when their school year got cut off early. Most of those kids were like, woo, early summer, (laughs) early summer break. Yes. Okay. So they've just been in, they've just been in summer mode for several months and that's okay. Like kids are resilient. They're going to be okay. So we could sit in, you know, sackcloth and 
heap ashes on our head and say, woe is me. And I've let myself go. I've let everything go. How will we ever make it back to normal? We could do that, but that's not productive. So let's do what would be productive instead. And let's use this time that is normally a time of transition into the fall. Let's use it to clean up our act and, you know, pull everybody in, huddle up, Let me think of whatever, like, I'm really bad at sports, so I'm trying to think of some cliched, really cliched sports uh, euphemisms to use here. Um, Rally the troops. I think that's war. Anyway, let's lean into the fact that this is a time of transition normally, and summer is usually a time where you're off your usual schedule, and then eventually you have, you know, it's not summer forever, so eventually you have to get back to some more organized order that comes with it being the school year. If your kids are out of school and out of the home, then I say live like it's summer all year round. Okay. You're not bound by this, but specifically in this episode, like the last episode, I'm trying to get a little word of encouragement out to those of us who have kids in school. So last episode, we talked about the fact that (coughs) everything is going to be different this year. Whether you're sending your kids to school, whether like in person, physically sending them, whether you are keeping them home to do distance learning, maybe there's a combo of those two. Maybe your school is doing um, a hybrid Um, or maybe you've decided to go rogue and unenroll them from the school that they were in last year and you're going to homeschool. Maybe you've already been homeschooling and you're just going to continue doing that. Regardless of what it is, this school year is going to look different. And there's a lot of anxiety that I'm hearing about from parents who have prior to this year of our lives been able to count on school being one of the great normative things. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry, my throat was so dry. Not COVID. Is wine good for a dry throat? I hope so. So... Uh, nothing about the school year, like school is normally a, it's a normative thing. It brings normalcy back around when the summer is over and you get back into the school routine. I routinely hear my friends with kids in school say, oh, I'm just looking forward to us being back into a routine. So that's a normal thing. People normally look forward to the return of school as a return to normalcy and routine. Okay. So this year we don't get to look forward to that. Just bottom line. Excuse me. Oh, my word. I had to yawn. I haven't had a yawn that good in forever. Am, I must be boring. Am I boring you? Maybe I'm boring myself. <laughs> so this year, here comes another train. This year, it's all different. No matter how you slice it. Even if your kid gets to go back into the school building on a normal-ish schedule, Even the classrooms are going to look different. The classes are going to look different. Lunchtime, recess, all of that stuff is going to be different. So we're going to have a lot of changes are coming. And so I think that there is this generalized level of anxiety about the fact that we're losing our sense of normalcy because of the number of things that are going to be different. And I think that in any time, anytime we have um, a, a, a source of anxiety, when I say we, I mean me. Okay. Anytime I have a source of anxiety, uh, 
I have two choices, really. I can either go towards the side of where I'm dwelling on the thing that's making me anxious, whether that be, we'll use this as an example, you know, the lack of normalcy, um, all my kids' normal activities are canceled. Our library is still closed. You can only do, well, I just found out today that you can, they're now open for pickup. Isn't that nice? Um, I can either go towards dwelling on the stuff that's creating the anxiety in me about the stuff that I can't change or that I can't control or that is not the way that I like it. Or I can go the opposite direction and I can look at it, I can frame it as... What can I learn from this? So the one direction is to go, you know, dwell on this stuff, the ways it's going to make me suffer. Like, how can I suffer from this? Or I can go the opposite direction and I can look at it as a learning experience. So the good news about going towards the, if it's a, if I go toward the, it's a learning experience side, first of all, that that necessarily purposefully reduces my anxiety about it. Because when you're not dwelling on the stuff that's upsetting you, it cannot continue to upset you to the same degree. You might not still feel great about it, but it's not going to feed the anxiety. And then the other thing too, is that I can start to, when I start to go towards that, like looking at as a opportunity for growth or learning, I guess this is what people, when they talk about having a growth mindset, I think this is, this is what they mean. If I go towards this side, then I can actually start to find some of those silver linings, some of those, you know, all that's what well, all's well that ends well sort of things like, well, we may not be able to do that, but, but we can't do this. And that's, that's good. And that's not something we'd be able to do if we were doing what we normally do. So this is where I am going to bring in another article that went viral. So both of these articles have gone viral in a certain amount of, um, recent history. I'm trying to find what the timestamp was on this one or the date. Hmm. Let's see here. Um, maybe I'll find it as I read through it. But this was this, this second article was printed by motherly, which <laughs> first of all, let's just, for just a second, let's deconstruct the two different websites. Okay. We have scary who is uh, really like putting it all out there about how much things suck and how terrible it is and how 2020 is going to be the death of the working mother. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have motherly and motherly just sound like just the, just the name motherly. It sounds so much more calming. Doesn't it sound just more like Zen and soothing and whatever. Okay. So motherly, published an article that quotes an another post that has gone viral. Okay. So this is what it says. It says this viral post is helping parents everywhere think differently about their kids' progress during this pandemic. And this article was written by Colleen Temple from Motherly. And she is quoting another lady. I guess I could have gone straight to this lady's website, huh? But oh, well, I'm trying to be transparent with where I found this stuff. There's a lady named Jamie Ragsdale who has a blog that she calls Altogether Mostly. And this, this is what the article says. I'm just going to read it. There's a blog post going viral from author Jamie Ragsdale's blog, Altogether Mostly, 
That's reframing our perspectives on how our children are learning right now at home with us. With some states already making the call of closing schools for the year. Okay, so this was done in March then. This this must be when this came out, if this is talking about states de- making decisions to close schools. All right. Um, with some states already making the call of closing schools for the year and many parents in other states mentally preparing for that same call, we're all left wondering... How are we going to make sure they're getting what they need? How are we going to make sure they're prepared for next year? We're questioning whether we're doing enough or not. We're racking our brains trying to figure out how to incorporate lessons into our day while the kids run around and we run behind on our workload. We're staying up at night worrying if all this means that our children are going to fall behind with friends, with school, with life. But then I read these words and it felt like a breath of fresh air because it asks us to pause in the madness and think about things differently for a minute. All right, so even though this was written in March, and now we can find it funny and ironic that people were worried about exactly what's going to happen in the fall back in March, we're gonna, now I'm going to read to you what this lady, the original author, Jamie Ragsdale, actually said. Because I read this once when it went around the first time, and at that point in time, we were brand new into the stay-at-home orders. We were brand new into the pandemic being in the news every second of every day. We were in that heightened sense of like, what's going on? What's going to happen? How's it going to turn out? You know, and we just, there was a lot of uncertainty. And for me at that moment in time, I was fully confident in my ability to homeschool my kids, whether it was a pandemic or not. So that wasn't really, it wasn't on my radar that like even I might be affected by school closures or closures in general. Okay. So I kind of, I sort of missed the, you know, I didn't have the urgency of how are we going to, how is this going to affect school at that moment in time? Now that we're several months later and we're getting close to the start of school and all of my normal stuff is still disrupted. Now I am also living through some of that, not to the same degree, but, um, like I said, now that my life has been disrupted for several months and I've thrown all of the things out the window, Um, it comes back around. So this is, this is what this author, this blog author wanted parents to hear at the beginning of the stay at home lockdown, shutdown, whatever you want to call it. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if at that point in time people were ready to hear it or not. I really don't know. I mean, I, I sort of wasn't cause I kind of dismissed it and only after reading the article that I already read from earlier from the Scary Mommy website, only after reading that did this come back to my mind. So that's, that's why it was, it was literally that article that was just really kind of showing what a bleak, frustrating, stressful landscape so many families are trying to deal with right now that made me think back to this, this other thing that I read months ago. So here's what it says. Here's what she wrote. What if instead of behind... This group of kids is advanced because of this. Let's talk about helping our kids during social distancing. Hear me out. What if they have more empathy? They enjoy family connection. They can be more creative and entertain themselves. They love to read. They love to express themselves in writing. What if they enjoy the simple things like their own backyard and sitting near a window in the quiet? What if they notice the birds And the dates the different flowers emerge and the calming renewal of a gentle rain shower. 
What if this generation is the ones to learn to cook, organize their space, do their laundry, and keep a well-run home? What if they learn to stretch a dollar and live with less? What if they learn to plan shopping trips and meals at home? What if they learn the value of eating together as a family and finding the good to share in the small delights of the everyday? What if they are the ones to replace... Oh, sorry, to place. What if they are the ones to place great value on our teachers and educational professionals, librarians, public servants, and the previously invisible essential support workers like truck drivers, grocers, cashiers, custodians, logistics, healthcare workers, and their supporting staff, just to name a few of the millions taking care of us right now while we're sheltered in place? What if among these children, a great leader emerges who had the benefit of a slower pace and a simpler life. What if he or she truly learn what really matters in this life? What if they are ahead? What if they are ahead? That right now is really something I want to latch onto and I want to encourage other people to latch onto. Because this post, and this is what the article, this is how the article finish it, says this post written so beautifully from the heart asks us to reconsider (coughs) life at home right now, to push through the fog and get to the clear skies in order to see our kids are doing okay and they're going to be okay. In fact, they're going to be great. This generation of children we're raising is doubling down on empathy, family bonding time, resourcefulness, and resilience, whether they can see and understand that or not. And those are the big things, the things we probably need to double down on anyway. Thanks to this post and our mindset shift, we can see and understand that now, ourselves, even if our kids can't quite yet, we know they one day will. This is exactly where I want to point myself in the direction of as we go into this new school year. And by virtue of the fact that I think it's a good idea for me, I want to push you in that same direction too. (laughs) So that's where, that's where this entire episode, that is where the whole, the whole impetus for me to get on here and just read some articles off the internet to you tonight is because these folks said it better than I could ever say it. And they brought to life two things that are so near and dear to my heart as a as a as a homeschooler by choice you know we chose this life like we didn't uh you know a school shutdown didn't force me to consider homeschooling and i have struggled for oh not i say struggled that's really not a fair term i have um spent time over the last you know 10 years of being a stay-at-home mom, but really the last eight years of being a homeschooling mom, trying to help other people see when people would ask me certain questions, well, like, well, what about, uh, what about socialization? And what about, you know, this, what about the arts? And what about, you know, STEM? And what about all these things? And I, I've spent time in conversation with people to try and, um, explain to them that all of those things have value and I'm not undervaluing them by choosing to school our kids at home. But there's also a whole bunch of other things. There are a bunch of life skills that are extremely undervalued. 
when we put our emphasis on things like STEM and things like extracurriculars and things like socialization, we, there's this whole host of other things that really have started to fall by the wayside as skills that are really legitimately life skills. So I know that just for me personally, because of the line of work that I went into, you know, STEM, um, STEM isn't really a part of my daily life in, in any way. You know, I didn't end up being a scientist or technology person or math person. Like I became an English teacher. So I didn't miss anything by not having a huge emphasis on STEM. It didn't change the the course of my life. But you know what did actually change the course of my life was the fact that my parents made me get a job, earn money, budget my money, pay for my own gas, pay for the insurance on my car, things like that. Okay, so I, I was forced into having some life skills when I graduated from high school that really came in handy when I decided to become an almost teenage bride and get married when I was 20. <laughs> so if I hadn't known how to make a couple meals, wash some clothes, you know, if my husband um, didn't hadn't learned how to work on cars when he was a teenager... Like today, I mean, he's 38 years old. We've been married 18 years. Today he was working on one of our cars. So these are life skills that, that really pay off over the long term. So not at all, I'm not at all trying to diminish the fact that education is important and structured education is important. I believe in structured education for sure. Um, it's just that there are so many other things that we could latch on to about this particular unsettled, disrupted school year that we have upon us. And when I think about it, I get really excited about it. I get excited about the idea that there are a, like probably what, how many, how many students are there in the U S I mean, millions, is it millions? There are millions of kids who, because of the simple fact that they're not going to be at home I mean, at school, not at home. They are going to be at home. They're not going to be at school for eight hours a day, at least to start with, maybe not for the whole year. Who knows? They have suddenly just won back a ton of their time and they have no excuse for not being able to learn how to do some stuff, like really useful, helpful stuff. And so this is where I'm going to tie it back to that first article. Okay. So what if... Instead of that poor working mom, this beleaguered, stressed out, like this, the, the woman who wrote that article sounds to me like her head is about to explode. And I feel, I feel for her. I feel so much for her because it's too much. It's too much for one person to be in charge of running a household, being the primary caregiver for kids, being the person who you know, primarily does lesson, uh, not lesson, um, meal planning, cooking, all the grocery shopping, you know, the seasonal clothing swap every year when it, when the season's changing, you got to get all the clothes out and figure out what everybody needs, you know, laundry, cleaning, like you name it. It's too much. It's too much for one person. It's even too much for one person who that's their only job. That is why stay at home moms are losing their minds all the time. (laughs) 
Okay. Take it from me. Even when I had no other job, even when my kids were just little and I didn't have an active side hustle at that time and I wasn't homeschooling, it was too much. It's too much. And so one of the things that is so great that I have been able to grab onto when we made our purposeful transition into choosing to homeschool, I told my husband, I was like, we have to come up with some kind of a, like, we have to come up with some kind of a deal or some kind of a system because I cannot be doing all of this and that. Homeschooling could feel like a full-time job. And then keeping up with the house feels like a full-time job. And then, you know, taking care of the kids is full-time job. Like it's too many full-time jobs for one person to manage. And this, this working mom that wrote this article to me sounds like she is being expected to do three full-time jobs and that's too much. So this is where our good friend, Charlotte Mason is going to make a reappearance. Charlotte Mason wrote like six books, six huge, I mean, huge, like the size of Atlas Shrugged volumes, instructional volumes on all the different, all different topics. And one of her, one of the major themes through all of her instruction on how to home educate children is for mothers or parents, but she specifically wrote to mothers because she was writing in the early 19th or the early 20th century when most mothers were at home, uh, that mother, it was absolutely crucial for mothers to have good habits and be diligent and, you know, um, work hard and time manage and self-care. I mean, actually, yeah, Charlotte Mason was into self-care. Like when you read her books, you're like, man, she was really forward thinking for her time because she was like every, you know, you need to have, you need to be sure and leave yourself time to like go outside and take a walk and stare at a flower and read a book and drink a cup of tea. And I mean, she was actually about self-care before self-care was cool. But her whole point was that teach kids to do stuff themselves. Like mom shouldn't have to do everything. And that's kind of funny because probably most of the families that she originally was working for were like wealthy and they had servants and stuff. But she very, very much believed that children are capable of doing work. They should be expected to do work and they should be taught to do work. And if you can teach them how to do things and you can teach them to do it well, you will have relieved yourself of a massive burden. Number one, you will have relieved yourself of a massive burden. And number two, you will give those child, those children a legacy of skills that will take them into the real world, into real life. So this is my, this is my thing I've been ruminating on since I talked last week and since reading these two articles. What if we took this coming year with the reduced amount of distractions that are going to be present because the same activities aren't going to be happening? Your schedule is not going to be packed like it normally is. You may not be at the ball field three, three nights a week. You may not have girls night scheduled once a week. You may not have church two nights a week. You may not, you just, let's assume that your schedule is way pared down going into the year. And yet you still feel very overwhelmed because of the fact that you may now have to be managing kids doing school at home while also managing your own job at home managing the work of the household, all of those things. Okay. So even though we may have less on our plates, it may feel like more because of, 
the expectations that are on you as the manager of the household. So this is where I'm going to tell you that it is not your job to do everything for everyone. You may be everything to everyone. Like I really believe that. You know, our babies look at us as everything. Like when they when they are babies, like we are their everything. We are their shelter, their protector, their provider. Like we are everything to them. And we have to in the beginning do everything for them. But there comes a point when their two little legs start to work and they can go places on their own and their two little hands start to work and they can do things on their own. And the cool thing about when they're, when they're really little is that they want to do stuff on their own. They want to help you, you know, they're like, and they want to do stuff themselves. Like my middle one, she would always say, my do it myself, my do it myself. So this is my challenge to you. I want you to consider that you are probably doing everyone else's work to some degree. Now, maybe, maybe you're more advanced at this than I was um, when we started doing homeschooling and whatever. But <clears throat> I know the reason that I was overwhelmed by being a stay-at-home mom and the workload was because I was trying to do all the work. So don't be me. Don't try and do all the work. Okay. And don't tell me like, I'm a type A and I just really like it done a certain way. So I'd just rather do it myself. Don't do that. Okay. Just point blank. Do not do that. We have got to get back to a place where we, as a society, embrace child labor. (laughs) Okay. I don't mean workhouses. Okay. I don't mean like Upton Sinclair, the jungle. I mean, kids can do stuff and they should because it's good for them. It is part of their education. It is part of their learning. It is part of the stuff that when they leave our homes and they go out into the world, STEM may never help them another day in their life, especially if they choose a career that absolutely, that makes absolutely no use of STEM. Okay. Arts are great. They may never use that again. After they get out into the real world, all that stuff that they did as part of their classical arts training and education may get completely put to the wayside because they decide to become a construction worker. I don't know, whatever. But there are certain skills, there are life skills that will never, ever, they will never, ever outgrow or outpace. So here's my challenge. Instead of looking at the school year as like, oh my gosh, what if they're behind? Like, what if they don't make gains like I'm expecting them to? Like, what if they're not reading by the end of kindergarten because they're having to do kindergarten online? Like online kindergarten sounds like a nightmare. Um, I don't even know how you would do that. But Like, how do you get a kid to pay attention on a Zoom call? I can hardly pay attention on a Zoom call. Um, So instead of us worrying about the educational goals that may or may not get met with this wild school year, because one year, one year of that is like kids are resilient. They are going to make up, they, they can make gains like you wouldn't even believe. Like there are kids who have never been in school before who get into school and just like, it just is clicking and they go 
they're off like a rocket. In fact, in the Scandinavian countries, kids don't even start school until they're seven. Like they don't start school. So that means that no kid in the Scandinavian countries is learning to read at age six. They all start at age seven. So, um, and there's a famous book. If you want to get into a really classic, if you want to go down the homeschool rabbit hole, there's a really classic book called Better Late Than Early. It's out of print, so it's really hard to find a copy. Um, But that book, for me, was so interesting and so fascinating as from my point of view as like being an educator and having a degree in education. I was like, this is the opposite of most of the tenets of what we use to drive choices in education now, like earlier, the earlier, the better, you know, early intervention and pre-K and all that kind of stuff. But so if you really want to go down the homeschool rabbit hole, try to find yourself a copy of Better Late Than Early. But Let's just put aside our worry about the educational goals, at least for the purpose of this particular podcast episode. I'm not saying throw school out the window for the next year, but don't stress about that. Don't stress. They will make up for it. They are resilient. They can make gains like you would not believe. Okay. So instead of worrying about that, what if we really took this next year to embrace the idea that our kids are fully functioning and fully capable members of the household? And if, like, if it's me and Krista's job to keep up our house because we live in it, it's, it's their job too. I mean, they live in it too, you know? And this is actually one of our family values. Like when the kids are like, how come you don't pay us to do chores? I'm like, because it's part of your job as a member of our household. Like everybody that lives here pitches in. It's every, it's part, it's everybody's job to keep this joint running. So if this, if this is not something that you have been able to do in your own household because of uh, like time limitations, the fact that kids are at school for so many hours a day, you are at work for so many hours a day. I totally get the fact that when your kids are in school all day and then they come home and you only have them at home from like five to eight and then it's bedtime, you're doing homework, you're having to get dinner ready. Some of those nights you're doing extracurriculars, like it completely makes sense to me why people say, I mean, I don't have time. Like there's no time for my kids to do the chores. I just need, I just have to do them after they go to bed because there's just not enough time in their day. Well, congratulations. We have all just earned, we have all reclaimed our time thanks to COVID. (laughs) So my challenge that I've repeated, I know I've said this like three or four times, my challenge to you is instead of worrying about the educational goals and gains and stuff like that, What if we took this year with all of the craziness and we took it back to basics and when the schoolwork is done and they still have a bunch of free time, instead of letting them zone out on Minecraft or whatever, what if we took it back to basics and we started doing like home ec? Don't call it that because then they'll be like, ew, I don't want to do it. That doesn't sound fun. But here, here is just a list. This is a list I have actually used. Um, many times in the past when I've had conversations about this with other people, like on our, on our mom board and stuff, like what chores are you guys doing? This is a chore list that I have actually referred back to for myself when I was trying to come up with chore charts and things like that. By the way, side note, I'm a complete failure at chore charts. Chore charts do not work for me because I don't want to have to be 
reminded by the children, like, that's not my chore chart. I want to be able to tell them you go do that. And then that's just what they have to go do. So we don't do chore charts at our house. Um, because I want to just be able to tell them this needs done, go do it. Okay. So here's the list I have looked at and I'm going to, this is going to be, I'm going to put this as, um, the image for this episode on the website. So you'll be able to look at, and I'll put a link to it as well in the show notes. Here are the age appropriate chores for children that I think we should all lean into trying to get our kids to be able to do by the end of this crazy COVID schooling year. Here we go. Ages two to three, put toys in toy box, stack books on shelf, place dirty clothes in laundry hamper, throw trash away, carry firewood, fold washcloths, set the table, fetch diapers and wipes, dust baseboards. Man, I need to get me a three-year-old to come dust my baseboards. All right. Ages four to five, feed pets, wipe up spills, put away toys, make the bed, straighten bedroom, water house plants, sort clean silverware, prepare simple snacks, use a handheld vacuum, clear the kitchen table, dry and put away dishes, disinfect doorknobs. Side note, if you don't want your kids using disinfectant, get some Norwex wipes, okay? It just uses water. Ages six to seven, gather trash, fold towels, dust Mop floors, dust mop floors, sorry. Empty dishwasher, match clean socks, weed the garden, rake leaves, peel potatoes or carrots, make salad, replace toilet paper roll. Ages eight to nine, load dishwasher, change light bulbs. Here comes the train again. Man, that means I've been talking too long. If if it's a three train night, gracious. Okay, we're still in ages eight to nine. Wash laundry, hang and fold clean clothes, dust furniture, spray off patio, put groceries away, scramble eggs, bake cookies, walk dogs, sweep porches, wipe off table. Ages 10 to 11, clean bathrooms. Again, Norwex. I don't have, I don't like my kids to use the chemical stuff because I'm afraid they'll be dumb and like squirt themselves in the eye with it. So I just have them use Norwex cloths. Vacuum rugs. Clean countertops, deep clean the kitchen, prepare a simple meal, mow the lawn, bring in the mail, do simple mending, sweep out the garage. You could also have them use a leaf blower. We did teach, I think that's when our oldest learned how to use the leaf blower was when she was 11. Ages 12 and up. Now, some of these are really going to blow your mind in this world. In, In 2020, I know that a couple of these are very controversial of what you would ask a 12 year old to do, but. 12, it means 12 and up. So that might mean 13 at your house. It might mean 14, but 12 and up. Mop floors, change overhead lights, wash and vacuum the car, trim hedges. Okay. Know your audience. <laughs> if you have a buck wild teenage boy, maybe don't give him the hedge clippers. Paint walls, shop for groceries with a list, cook complete dinner, bake bread or cake, do simple home repairs, Wash windows, iron clothes, watch younger siblings. Now, that list may sound crazy. I know I've definitely gotten reactions from people like, what? That's insane. No, no. A seven-year-old? 
doing whatever. Let's see, what was one of the seven-year-olds? My seven-year-old cannot, you know, make a salad. Okay, yes, they can. They sure can. You just probably haven't thought to let them do it. That was what happened for me. My experience was completely like, it just didn't occur to me that the kids could do more than they were doing. It wasn't that I was like, I want to do all the work. (laughs) Okay, that wasn't it. Even though I am type A and I like things done a certain way. And if people want to really show me that they love me, they'll do it my way and not just do it. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. See my Enneagram podcast about that. But really, it just, I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. It didn't occur to me that some of these tasks were capable of being done by children as young as these ages. But I can, I can tell you between my three kids, and I don't think it matters that they're girls. Like, they're not better at this stuff because they're girls. They're not good at housework because they're girls. I had to teach them. You know, that's the thing is that anytime you teach a new skill, it's a time commitment. You know, the kid, you can't show them one time how to, sh- how to fold a shirt when they're, let's see, what age do they say that they can be doing this? Hang and fold clean clothes. Okay, eight, eight to nine. Honestly, mine were doing it sooner than that. So, it, but it takes, the, you have to show them more than once. You may have to dumb down the instructions to their age level. Um. You might have to lower your standard a little bit. It's true. Sometimes you have to be like, okay, you know, done is better than not done, right? Someone else doing a chore in my book is better than me having to do all the chores. So even if I have to bring my standards down a little bit, the invaluable thing that happens here is that they start learning how to do stuff. And the more they do, the more they can do. The more stuff you let them do, the more stuff they want to do. Especially if you can let them do it when they're younger and they think it's cool and fun to be like mommy. Like all of my kids have wanted to follow me around and help me do stuff. Isn't that just what they do? And so they want to help me clean. All right, here's a Norwex cloth. Knock yourself out. Like it can't hurt, it can't hurt for you to be cleaning that wall over there. (laughs) You know, it can't hurt for you to be cleaning the carpet. It's just water. It's fine. Um, they started learning how to sort laundry. They started learning how to fold laundry. You know, when the little one was, when the other two were to the point to where they could fold their laundry, but the little one couldn't, I could, I would still find something for her. I would have her, you know, put the socks together in a pile or things like that. And then two summers ago when the, when the, um, tidying up show with Marie Kondo came out, we all watched the entire season and they all were like, folding clothes looks like so much fun. Let's relearn. And they took and they dumped all their clothes out of their drawers and they relearned how to fold clothes the Marie Kondo way. I, that's like something I didn't even have to tell them to do. And I promise you they are not like Stepford children, little like house wife bots. Okay. <laughs> I promise. So the more you let them do, the more they can do. And the more they can do, the more they want to do. We actually had a fight occur in my house this week because I wouldn't let my 12-year-old make dinner. She was like, what are you going to make for dinner tonight? And I said, oh, you know, I was going to make this or that. She was like, oh, I don't want that. Can I make dinner instead? And I was like, no, I, I'm going to make dinner. I already planned to make dinner. She like, she legitimately got mad at me. She got mad at me because I wouldn't let her make dinner. So I had to promise to let her make dinner one night later this week. So tonight she made dinner. So she had 
Now, she let her dad handle the meat, so he grilled some chicken. But she made, from scratch, mashed potatoes. And from scratch, she made a pan of biscuits. And she heated up some of our green beans that we canned from the garden. Like, she did the whole thing. She set the whole table. Actually, I think she made her sister set the table. So one of the others set the table. Like, I, it's really kind of tragic how much we undersell what our kids are capable of doing. I think just as a society, we've relegated, we've turned childhood into this totally weird place where like, on the one hand, we want them to be, um, super busy doing school and, you know, learning and, and putting such a high priority on education. And then on the other hand, it's like, we're missing this huge opportunity with them that they can emerge from childhood as really awesome functional people. So that's my challenge. And it only took me, you know, 70 minutes to get around to it. <laughs> I hope y'all have some extra free time. This, this went extra long. How it's crazy. It's a good thing I don't edit this because I would just be going back and being like, oh, I don't need to say that. I don't need to say that. I don't need to say that. You just get me raw and unfiltered and edited. That is my challenge to you. Instead of being worried about whatever craziness is is or isn't going to come from the school year being so wild this year, what if we instead went the other direction and we started looking at it as an opportunity for our kids to come out ahead in another area, which is that they might actually really enjoy having some of their time back and being able to learn some of the stuff that that sometimes tends to get put by the wayside. And the bonus, the big best bonus of all could mean that a huge amount of workload gets taken off your plate. And then if you're one of these moms that's having to work from home, think of all the ways that your workday from home would be made so much easier if you can set an expectation with your kids that along with doing their schoolwork, you also are going to expect them to have their laundry done and their bed made and make themselves breakfast, lunch, maybe even dinner. It could, it could so, it could revolutionize so many families, I think. So that's why I've spent so much time talking about it. Um, like I said last week, this is a topic, um, homeschooling and home making, I guess. I don't really like calling it homemaking because I feel like it, it makes it sound so weird and in, inaccessible for anyone who isn't a traditional homemaker. You know what I mean? Like if you're not a little wifey at home in an apron, it seems like homemaker seems like such a weird sort of antiquated term, but literally anyone can be a homemaker and we are all homemakers in a way. If you live in a home, you're the one making it. So you're a homemaker. All you dads, you guys are homemakers too. So, um, this is a topic I sort of geek out on a little, apparently to an excessive degree. So I've said too much already and I'm going to be embarrassed when I get this (laughs) episode published and I realize how long it went, but I appreciate you being here. If this was only your second time joining me because somebody sent you to my podcast, um, 
with my last episode about COVID schooling. Thank you for coming back. I won't always talk this long forever, but maybe it helped you like get some laundry done or cook a meal or something with some entertainment in the background and some encouragement. Um, you can find me and all the episodes at the website, oddlyadulting.com. You can also donate to the podcast there. There is a link at the top of the page where you can go. It'll take you to PayPal and you can throw some money at me. I run this podcast on something that I learned from a, um, another podcaster named Adam Curry. He coined the term value for value. And pretty much if you found any value in the time that you spent listening today, if you want to turn that into a number of your choosing and throw it at me as a a monetary donation to help keep the lights on over here, um, I would be more than happy to accept it. You know, um, he usually breaks it down. He says things like, you know, how much time did you spend on the podcast? You know, okay, so I've been talking for an hour. Um, maybe you spent an hour, um, watching a movie. How much did that cost you? You know, maybe you had lunch with a friend or coffee with a friend or, um, made a long distance phone call for an hour to catch up with somebody, you know, just, just think about whatever the time was worth to you. And if you wanted to throw me some money equaling that number, I'd be happy to take it. (laughs) Uh, you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is at oddly adulting and my email address is oddly adulting at gmail.com. If you have any feedback for me, positive, negative, or otherwise, I would love to hear it. I, there's nothing that makes me more excited than when I get an email from somebody that's listening. And if you are listening, I consider you one of my producers because if, because I'm not produced by anybody else, it's me and Chris over here, uh, producing the podcast. And literally if no one is listening, there's absolutely no reason for me to keep recording. So I consider any person that tunes in a producer and I would love to chat with you in email or if you know me in person, just call me and we'll talk. And if you want to buy some Norwex, send me an email and I'll, uh, send you the name of my Norwex girl. (laughs) All right. Um, If you've made it this far, all the way through the commercial segment, uh, you know what I'm going to say. I love you. And Jesus does too. Bye. Her music is by Kevin McLeod. Winner, winner. <laughs>